Welcome to Every Nation Ramesh Sunday online service. We are a church that sees lives, communities, society transformed through discipleship in the word, the presence, and the power of God. It's so great to have you with us today. My name is Carol Gosman, and my husband and I are senior pastors of this powerful, loving, and God-fearing church community. We are in the middle of a series called Undefeated, The Secret Life of Warriors, in which we look at what kind of secret life, what kind of personal behind-the-scenes activities do we need to be engaged in so that our public life is one of victory. We have looked at various heroes of the Bible, and we've looked at their private lives, and we've looked at how prayer makes a difference. Prayer in the secret place causes you to be successful in the public arena. We looked at, again, how being people of the word, people of the Bible, and having a consistent Bible life has allowed us to be and allows all of us to be successful in the public arena. Today, we're going to be looking at the power of praise. If I was going to summarize the sermon, I would summarize it like this. Focused gazing and continual praising bring heaven's invading. I'm going to say that again. Focused gazing and continual praising bring heaven's invading. It's kind of like a rap. I hope someone makes it into a rap song sometimes. Isn't it amazing? I'm going to be taking all of these verses or these phrases and I'm going to be kind of unpacking them. And I'm going to be using a story from the Bible, from the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 30 is the full story. We're not going to read the full story. I'm going to take two excerpts from it and we're going to unpack it. But it's a powerful story of a military victory that Judah had. It was a very unusual victory. It was a victory that happened in a way that you would not expect. It's not normal military tactics that won the battle. And you will see as we go how God did an enormously incredible victory that that came in unprecedented ways. In the story, there are two particular paragraphs that help us to understand the reason for this great victory. And I'm going to start with one of them after I've unpacked the story or just introduced the story to you. So the story goes that Judah, the nation of Judah, which is in the southern part of Israel, led by King Jehoshaphat, finds themselves besieged by three armies. They are coming at them from three different nations and they are attacking Jerusalem and they are wanting to take over the nation of Judah, take all of the resources for themselves, wipe out that nation. And at this time, this time of national calamity, Jehoshaphat calls all of the nation together and says, let us seek the Lord. And we pick up the story in verse 12. He says, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. 
You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Such a powerful promise that it ends with. This message from the prophet that came at this time of national calamity and spoke to the nation in response to Jehoshaphat's prayer. The first thing I want to look at is from verse 12. It says that, For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Focus gazing. You wondered what focus gazing meant. This is what it meant. It means that we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. How many of us have faced scenarios, not exactly like this, I don't think any of you had three different armies arrive on your doorstep, but certainly we've had overwhelming circumstances. Remember when your first child was born, or perhaps you are imminently waiting for the birth of your first child. Perhaps you've started a new job and are overwhelmed by the assignments that have come to you. Perhaps in this time you've lost your job and you're overwhelmed by the prospect of how to move forward in this, these circumstances. Perhaps you've started studying and what you are faced with seems more than you've ever done before and you're wondering how you're going to proceed through these circumstances. Countless myriads of times in life we are faced with things that we've never done before, that we've never faced before, that are new, that are unusual, that are bigger than we expected we would have to face. I'm thinking of times in my life when I have faced scenarios where my husband has been chronically ill and unable to work. Um, times when I've had to homeschool a child who had severe learning disabilities, who now has just got their PhD, just saying God is a miracle working God, but facing overwhelming circumstances for which I was not prepared, for which no one gave me the tools, for which I didn't study and suddenly I'm faced with these environments, how am I going to face them? The Bible says in this instance that Jehoshaphat, faced with just such circumstances, took his eyes off the circumstances, the raging of the lies around you, the overwhelmingness of the emotions that are coming up, the situations that are facing you that are just seem to have no so solution. He takes his eyes off those and puts them on God. How difficult it is in those times because the environment speaks so loud. The lies come at you so strongly. The feelings rise up in, inside of you. The, the, the criticism comes from you comes at you in different ways and it's it's so easy to allow all those things around you to grab your attention to spend your time on on those things instead of turning your attention to God focusing your gaze upon his power his majesty his ability his goodness his values his truth how do we do this how do we tear our eyes from the raging storm about us to the quiet peaceful, glorious, powerful God that is with us. Some practical ways of doing this is first of all, noticing the good, but often small things that God is doing around you. This was one of the practical solutions, the practical steps that God gave me when I was facing just those circumstances I spoke of earlier. He said to me, there will never be a time when I'm not with you. 
No matter how bad things are, there is always something good happening. I am making sure of that. And I began to notice when one of my children would come up and slip their hands into mine and I would feel my heart swell with love and I would look at them and, and see the loveliness of who they were. I started noticing the sunrises. I started noticing the smell of the frangipani bushes that were outside my front door. I started noticing the smile of a friend, the encouraging words of a colleague. I started noticing how people were getting saved, healed, set free as I prayed for them. I started noticing just the warmth of my husband's voice towards me. I began to notice the delicious smell of the food that was in front of me. And I began to just put all of these together, not just as coincidences of the day, but as God intervening in my life to bring the goodness and the love that he knew that I needed. And suddenly I could see God all around me. And it was easy to take my mind off the imminent looming danger that seemed to be everywhere into the imminent looming glorious love of God that was invading my life every minute of the day. And I found myself walking through these circumstances in ways that were so much easier than they had been before. It's not like the circumstances changed, but I changed because my focus changed. When I put my focus on God, everything around me seemed different. Suddenly I didn't need to know the answer. Suddenly I didn't need to know how to act. I simply had to follow this great and glorious God that was with me and things began to fall into place and sooner or later as I said my husband has been healed. I didn't say that but but my husband has been healed. In addition that son who was battling with learning disabilities has his PhD so God did some glorious glorious things. Another thing you can do, which God spoke to me, one of my life verses, Romans 8 verse 28, which says all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What does this mean? It means when that storm is raging, when that difficulty is coming, when that argument is happening, when that um, job is being lost, when that child is misbehaving, when your own heart is at war with yourself, when these difficult things are happening, even in those circumstances, everything around you, as you are love God and are called according to his purposes, must turn around and bless you. This is the wild thing about what Jesus did on the cross, is that he won a victory that means that all of creation must comply with God's agenda for your life which means that all of those, those negative things must bless you in the end. I have used this verse time and time again when I face the difficulties, when I'm sitting in that meeting where I don't know the answers, when I'm faced with antagonism or difficulty and I don't know how to proceed. Instead of allowing myself to get fretful and worried, I simply say, even this must bless me. There is a solution. I take my eyes off this environment and I put them on Jesus and I say, God, thank you. Even that these environments must bless me. When I'm faced with the pressures of life, the challenges of life that we all face, instead of allowing it to overwhelm me, I look it in the eye. I look at that storm. I look at that angry voice. I look at those lies that are telling me that I'll never make it or that things won't go the way I expected them to. I look that, that storm in the eye and I say this, even you. Even you must bless me. And I have found over the years that without fail, when I take my eyes off the circumstances, put them on God, remember this great promise of the Bible, 
that step by step as I continue walking through the circumstances, the circumstances begin to bend under the weight of God's goodness towards me. They begin to change and mold themselves till eventually that environment that I thought was going to kill me is blessing me. It's making me new. It's strengthening me. It's prospering me and my family. It's drawing my loved ones together. It's growing my church. It's doing glorious things because God has promised and God is faithful. Why do we focus our eyes on God in times of trouble? Well, verse 15 gives us a clue. It says that the battle is the Lord's and not ours. I love that. It means, always referring to the fact that Judah at that time was in covenant with God and that he had aligned his name to that nation. In other words, if they were to be defeated, God would be, God's name would look like mud so to speak he would be look as if he had failed and so what God said is that when you are in covenant with me I align my reputation with you in Jesus Christ we are in covenant with God we have given all of our lives to him and he has come and placed his name on our life in other words he has he has locked his reputation to our lives in other words He is more invested in your success than you are. How powerful is that? The battle is the Lord's and not ours. And when I face these difficulties, not only am I saying things like, even you must bless me, Storm. I'm looking at these circumstances and I'm saying, this battle is not mine. This battle battle is God's. He's already made provision to win this. He's already won it 2,000 years ago on the cross. I can relax in him and I can stand back and allow him to win this battle on my behalf. Exodus 14, 13 to 14, a powerful verse. Moses has brought all of Israel out of Egypt and they're standing on the banks of the Red Sea that Egyptian army is behind them and the Red Sea is in front of them. There's um, murder and carnage coming up behind them and there is drowning and death before them. And Moses cries out to God and God comes and speaks to him and instructs him to say this to the people of Israel. Verse 13, and Moses said to them, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Oh my word, the sea opened. They walked on dry land to the victory that they had never imagined could be theirs. By trusting that the battle was the Lord's and not theirs. You all know that person. You know that person who has is facing the same situations as you. I happen to be married to one of them. I, I wasn't going to say his name and I haven't said his name, but you know who I'm talking about. One of those, those delightful yet irritating people who, when faced with difficulties, you're feeling the fret and the worry inside. You're thinking of a thousand reasons why this is going to go wrong. You're thinking of why this is going to end badly, what you're going to have to make provision for, how you're going to try and circumvent the circumstances, how you're going to try and wheedle yourself out of it. you just scenario after scenario running through your head and you turn to this person and you see no worry on their face and you say, aren't you worried? Shouldn't you be doing something? And they turn to you and say, no, God's got this. At the moment that that happens, you feel a little irritated in your heart because you want them to be worrying as much as you are worrying, but they are not. And then as you walk through the circumstances, 
at the, you come to the end and God has indeed come through, they turn to you and say, see, I told you. And you realize all that worrying, all that fretting, all that scenario planning, all that those going through the different ways things could work out and how you can um, protect yourself from this harm and that harm, etc., was fruitless and a waste of time. And you wish you had sat next to them in the calmness of the couch and said, yes, it's true, God's got this. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you do nothing. Of course, you're going to follow God and do what he's saying. But you do it from a place of faith, from a place of God's got this. God's in charge. God's leading me. Over the years, living with Andrew enough, I've learned to see that this is the way to go. And I've, I've adjusted my way of, of facing these situations and have found great solace in this, that the battle is the Lord's and not mine. And when I relax and rest in that truth, I find that God goes before me and does astounding things, astounding things. Another reason we can trust God and we can focus our attention on him and not on the troubles around him is that nothing is hidden from him. Verse 16 is astounding. This prophet stands up and he basically reads the enemy's mail. He basically tells them exactly what this enemy is going to do, where they're going to come, their strategy, their tactics. And Israel or Judah at the time, sorry, that was the nation of Judah, just walks out knowing exactly what the plans of the enemy are. You know, I've experienced this from time to time. We live with a God who sees everything, knows everything. I have been in situations where I have not known how to respond to a person in front of me. And as I've relaxed and put my eyes on Jesus, a thought has come to mind and I've been able to respond to that. And it was just the right thing. Just last night, I, a thought came in my mind about a person and I sent them a message of the things that were on my heart. And they got back to me and said, that's exactly what I needed to know for the circumstance. I've been driving and my GPS has gone dead because my phone battery died and I had not a clue of where I was supposed to be going. I could have thrown my hands up in there, pulled over to the side, locked my doors and had a snooze and said, that's the end of this endeavor. Instead, I felt like, wow, God knows everything. Let me put my eyes on him. And as I was doing that, just thoughts came to mind as I came to a intersection. Why don't you turn left? Why don't you turn right here? Go this way, go that way. As I followed those prompts and those leadings, I found myself at the destination that I was meant to be at. God is faithful. There's a verse in Hebrews 4 verse 13 that says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Scary on one level, because that means that there is not a thought you've ever thought. There's not an action you've ever done. There's not a, a concept that you've ever conceived in your mind that God does not already know, that God has not seen, that is not open and bare to him to whom we must give account. Scary on that side. At the same time, greatly comforting. It means that every scenario they're in, there is nothing going on in that room. There is nothing going on in that environment that God does not know about. And he can direct you in the perfect steps to get through that circumstance with the greatest victory. The second portion of Second Chronicles that's relevant for this discussion is verses 21 to 25 that says this, 
And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. How's that for a military tactic? Send out your worshipers first. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, verse 24, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. You know, think about this. Judah has gone from a cringing, terrified mass of people crying out to God, Lord, we are about to die. Come upon us. We don't know what to do. Please, we're putting our eyes on you. But help us out of this desperate situation to a people who are plundering three nations, who are bringing in the spoil that is so great that it takes three days to bring it in to their cities. God turned a situation that was meant for evil and he turned it into good. How did they do it? They did it with a lifestyle of praise. They, Jehoshaphat sent out the worshippers before the army. They didn't even have to raise a sword. They raised a hallelujah. There's a song right there. They raised a hallelujah. And as they did it, God won the battle for them. Or the evidence of God winning the battle became evident to their eyes. God did it through their praise, through their exaltation of him. As they put their eyes on him and began to notice his greatness and speak out that greatness, that powerful praise became, became a weapon in the hand of the living God to destroy and rout their enemies. I want you to think for a moment what it would have been like to be one of those armies. You're sitting there, you have every intention of taking over this little ragtag nation of Judah. There are three armies against their one army. army. It's a slam dunk situation. You're going to win this. And as you're sitting there, you wake up in the morning and there you hear the sound. Your whole, your whole expectation of this time is that you're going to go out with rage and anger and you're going to slaughter them. There's a, there's a anger and a hatred and a venom that you've built up over the years and the ages that have brought you to this place to want to destroy this nation. And instead of this nation meeting your hate with hate, there you hear the love songs of heaven. There you hear God's praises being sung out. It's almost like God's love formed this impenetrable barrier around Judah and the hate and the animosity and the anger and the cruelty and the violence that was coming against them hit against this barrier and could not move forward. That God's love pushed back the hate of the world. Neuroscience tells us a very interesting thing. It tells us that thankfulness and if we want to put it in a Christian context, praise toward God does three profound things in our lives. It unshackles us from toxic negative emotions. It gives us greater clarity of thinking and it improves our health. Wild and crazy things that it does, proven by science in this day. The Bible's been saying this forever. 
Nehemiah 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Proverbs 17 verse 22, laughter makes good like medicine. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The Bible's been saying what neuroscience has just discovered. Neuroscience, however, gives us a, a, a really interesting clue about how praise works. When we praise God, when we put the declarations of His goodness and His love on our lips, that something profound happens in the human makeup. I'm going to give you a very quick biology lesson, lesson if you're good with that. When we are faced with stress, anxiety, difficulty, a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is found deep in the back of our heads, is activated. And this is kind of a part of our brain that just works on instinct. It, instinct sorry, It pumps out adrenaline, it pumps out cortisol, it pumps out ne um, fight or flight hormones and puts us in a state of readiness. Now we're going to fight, we're going to defend ourselves, we're going to do damage to our environment. It's just like an instinctive, angry, defensive response to our environment. There's another part of our brain that's found at the front, it's called your frontal cortex or your prefrontal cortex and this is the place where you think rationally this is the place where things make sense where you understand where you make decisions by virtue of information and your senses and you're able to make uh, calculated responses clear thinking responses to your, env your environment interestingly enough when we engage in praise when we s declare the praises of God the amygdala, that fight or flight place in our brains is deactivated. Science has shown us this. And the part of the brain that can understand, can make reasonable decisions, can respond to our environments logically and helpfully is activated. How great is God? What he's saying is when you put your, your eyes on me, when you praise me, I will, I will push down the negative human responses that are that are possible, that could come from you, and I will activate all that is good and right and powerful in you. The Bible, in addition to this, gives another reason why praise is so important. It's evidence in the story, is that when we praise, there is a backlash that happens against the forces of evil. It's like our praise pushes back the darkness. It's like our praise destroys the enemy's encampment about us. It's a thing that happens not in the natural, but it happens kind of in the spiritual realm and, and brings about a natural victory. Psalm 149 describes it like this, like this from verse 6. It says, let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute, execute sorry, vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind the kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of irons. It's giving a natural picture of a spiritual reality that when the high praises of God are in our mouths, it pushes back, binds up, prevents from activating the forces, the kings, the rulers of evil. Paul and Silas in prison, you can read the story in Acts 16. It talks about how they had been put in prison for helping a, a young servant girl who had been tormented by demons and they had gotten her free. And as a result, the community was angry with them, believe it or not, and put them in prison. And it talks about how at midnight, 
They were singing out the praises of God. And what happened? They, they were confronting the spiritual forces of that environment that were longing to enslave people, that were longing to use the torment and the degradation of the people in the environment to their advantage. They were confronting that through the praises of Jesus. They were lifting up the name of their God and they were proclaiming the truth of what God had won through Jesus Christ. And as they were doing it, it was pushing back the forces of darkness. A powerful thing happened. It says that an earthquake came and broke open their chains, broke open the prison doors, and they were free. I won't carry on with the story, but you go ahead and read it. A powerful example of what I'm talking about. Of course, the alternative to a lifestyle of praise is a lifestyle of negativity. We even see examples of that in the Bible. Israel, after they had crossed the Red Sea and, and seen the incredible victories of God in the wilderness, began to complain, grumble, notice all the bad. Instead of keeping their eyes on Jesus, keeping their eyes on God, they begin to look at their negative circumstances, doubting that God could bring them through. It resulted in 40 years of wandering in that wilderness, unable to appropriate the victory of God that was already theirs. Please, men and women, children, teenagers, whoever is watching this, do not be Israel in the wilderness. Let's be Jehoshaphat's army singing out the praises of God. Let's be Paul and Silas in prison singing out the praises of God. Let, let our lifestyles, our declarations of praise be breaking chains, by, be opening prisons, be routing the enemy. Praise destroys the foundations of the enemy's fortifications and creates highways of holiness and boulevards of blessing. It opens up avenues of God's provision, his blessing, his truth, his life, the knowledge of him, the victory of Jesus Christ coming to our environments. In conclusion, something A.W. Tozer said, if you're in one of our connect groups, you will have seen this in the this week's Connect Outline written by Musa, Pastor Musa. Powerful quote by A.W. Tozer. If you're not in one of our Connect groups, by the way, that's easy to fix. You can just click on one of the links that are coming up in your feed and we'll get you, we'll get you hooked up. But A.W. Tozer said this, anything God has ever done before, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. In other words, when we sit and listen to this beautiful story, this incredible, powerful, energetic story of Judah routing their enemies through praise, we can know that if God did it then, he can do it now. When we hear the story of Paul and Silas sitting in prison, praising God and seeing the prison open before them miraculously, we can know that God, as he did it for them, will do it for us. When you face your circumstances, you can know that what God has done before, he will do again for you. As we employ these tactics of keeping our eyes on Jesus, of um, focusing our attention on him and living a life of praise, we will see that victory. Focused gazing and continual praising brings heavens invading. Lord Jesus, I just pray for everyone watching this. Lord God, I ask for this kind of victory, the kind of Jehoshaphat victory that we see in Second Chronicles, Lord God, the Paul and Silas victory that we see in that prison break. Lord God, I'm asking that where they are, Lord God, you'll give them the courage to take their eyes off their circumstances, put their eyes on you, have focus gazing on you. I ask, Lord God, that the high praises of God would be in their mouths, Lord God, that they would speak to every storm and tell them, tell that storm that 
that even that storm must bless them, that they would be confident in a God who's fighting their battles for them, who has gone before them, that they would rest in the knowledge that God is with them. Lord God, I ask this in Jesus' name. And Lord, lastly, I ask that if anyone is watching this who does not know you or has strayed away from you and would like to come back to you, Lord God, would you speak to them right now? Would you let them know that their place at the table, at your banqueting table is open, that you've kept it for them? Lord God, would you call them to you? Would you let them hear your voice? Would you let them know that this victory that has been expounded in the Bible and through the sermon can be theirs also? through Jesus Christ. If that's you and you would like to recommit your life to Jesus or commit your life to Jesus for the first time, you'd like to become a part of the family of God, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. Lord, I surrender my life. I ask that you would become my Lord and Savior. I turn from the way I've been living to a life of dependency on you. I surrender, Lord. Come, take my life. Amen. Amen and amen. If you made that commitment, I'm going to ask you, there will be a link somewhere in the comment section of this video. Please just click on it. It will take you to a place where someone will interface with you and help you and take the next steps of your journey. Don't miss out on this opportunity. God has a great plan for your life filled with victories, filled with joy and life and newness. We are here and delighted to walk with you into that newness. God bless you. Have a great week.